0: of faith and it will be a question and the answer that you know quite often quite well what's man's chief end or his primary purpose man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever we say that with great gusto my friends I think we understand well what it means to glorify God but I wonder if we really understand what it means to enjoy him forever Especially for some of us that have gathered here today and the difficulty that we're currently living, the life's troubles and sufferings and pains that we are enduring moment by moment and day by day, week by week, some of us year after year. How can we enjoy God in those times? Psalm 34 is one of a very few psalms in the Psalter that is an acrostic psalm. That just simply means that the first verse of every verse in our New Testament translation began and then continued with each letter of the alphabet in the Hebrew language and it is a psalm by David as we'll see here in just a moment to teach us how it is that we are to enjoy God forever because God is good he is good all the time and he calls for us to taste and see that he is good how do we do that in all of life's experiences Well, let's find out. We give our full attention to the reading and preaching of God's Word. Psalm 34, beginning with the very introduction. Hear now the Word of God. Of David, when he pretended to be insane, before Abimelech, who drove him away and he left. I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. My soul will boast in the Lord. Let the afflicted hear and rejoice. Glorify the Lord with me. Let us exalt His name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from all of my fears. Those who look to him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. This poor man called and the Lord heard him. He saved him out of all of his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and he delivers them. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Fear the Lord, you his saints. For those who fear him lack nothing. The lions may grow weak and hungry, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Come, my children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Whoever of you loves life and desires to see many good days, keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking lies. Turn from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the memory of them from the earth. The righteous cry out and the Lord hears them. He delivers them from all of their troubles. The Lord is close to the broken hearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. A righteous man may have many troubles but the Lord delivers him from them all. He protects all of his bones, and not one of them will be broken. Evil will slay the wicked. The foes of the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems his servants. No one will be condemned who takes refuge in him. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. What do we know about God's word? The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands Our Father in heaven, we give you great thanks and praise that this psalm is in your psalter. A psalm that we want to give our full attention to now because each of us in this room, while individuals, we are all one body. And we come into this place with all of our cares and concerns. We haven't left them at the door. But you say, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. So Lord, we want to do that even now. Because we want to enjoy you forever As you lavish your goodness on us in Jesus Christ, let us see it yet again as you jump from the pages that are before us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Please, friends, be seated. Several years ago, Russell Crowe starred in a movie called The Good Life. Now, if you haven't seen the movie, I'm going to spoil it for you because I'm going to tell you about the whole movie. But I just figure if you haven't seen it yet, then you're probably not going to see it anyway because it's not a relatively new movie. But he—it it begins with him being a small boy. Uh, Growing up with his uncle, and his uncle owns this wonderful chateau, this villa in France where he has this beautiful vineyard, and he grows up very close to his uncle, big swimming pool and tennis courts and this great big house and all of the luxuries of life that he experienced growing up. But then suddenly we jump ahead, we jump ahead into modern time where he is now a grown up in New York City. He's a stock market broker and he makes all kinds of money doing wheeling and dealing in the, in the stock market and he makes a, a fortune. And we see a, a different life now, this life that he had growing up in France and now this life that he has growing up in America where he is surrounded by stuff after stuff after stuff. It's all about all that he can acquire, all that he can wrap his arms around, all that he can win He gets a phone call one particular day that his uncle has died and left him everything in France. So he boards a plane and he goes back to France with the full purpose of selling it all so that he can then get back to the life that he pursued and was able to capture in New York. He gets back to France and the pool is no water, filled with no water. As a matter of fact, it's got mud or dirt about a foot or so in the bottom. The tennis court net is broken. Uh, the, the villa is falling down. Uh, it, it looks like it's in shambles. And so he begins to try to fix it all up in hopes of selling it to make more money than he could selling it in its current condition. So then he can acquire more stuff and he can get back to New York where he can live the good life. But as he spends time then whitewashing the walls and taking care of the pool and all, we find all of these memories that are flooding his mind. And he goes back to this childhood that he grew up there with his uncle and all of the wonderful experiences that he had through life that he somehow seemed to take his eyes off of and fix his eyes on something else in the United States until the point he fled France and he went to the United States to pursue more Stuff, And then, of course, the movie ends. He stays in France. He fixes up the whole villa. He gets the beautiful looking woman and it's, you know, all of that stuff of they lived happily ever after. He, he comes to the place where he realizes that everything that he had as a child was everything that he ever wanted. But he took his eyes off of that and he stuck it on stuff and so he was in pursuit of all of this stuff but then coming back he realizes that what he had from the very beginning is what he really wanted all along and what gave him great joy and gave him the good life. I wonder if that is similar to our relationship with the Lord Jesus in this way. A lot of us have the testimony that we never knew a day when we didn't love the Lord Jesus and long for his appearing. A lot of us are covenantal children that have grown up in the church now where we are teaching the next generation or two generations of covenantal children. But we have taken our eyes off of that very thing that we grew up in that was the good life, the best life that we could ever have, and we've stuck our eyes on something else. And what we've stuck our eyes on is in pursuit of more stuff. We've taken our eyes off of Jesus in order to surround our lives with a lot of stuff instead of growing up and continuing in this great gospel that we have been given in the Lord Jesus Christ. How is it that as covenantal people, we could have this very beginning And yet we could take our eyes off of that in hopes of finding something else. I think it's for this reason, or here's one reason anyway. Life is hard, isn't it? Life is filled with pain. Life is difficult. And so we this life that we grow up in, in in the covenant. It's not all roses and cherries. It's not all pain-free living and happiness and joy and bouncing from here to there and everywhere, but life actually throws us curveballs from time to time. Life is actually painful from time to time. And so we're either taking our eyes off of, of what we have in Jesus so that we can find some joy in our life, or we're taking our eyes off of Jesus because we feel like he can't fix what it is that is hurting us so desperately, and so we go in pursuit Of that, that we think will. How can we enjoy God even in the midst of pain and suffering and troubles and sorrows? It's easy, is it not? It's easy for us to enjoy God when life is good, when life is painless, when there are no troubles. But how can we enjoy God forever? even through the circumstances of life that nag at us and even leave us asking the question, if God is so good and God is a God of love, then why in the world would he allow this to happen to me? That's exactly what we find the answer to this question, my friends, from David, King David gives us this beautiful picture that the goodness of God is great and that goodness we can enjoy forever and forever and ever. He begins the psalm by saying, listen to me, look at me, watch me. His, his life is a testimony of the goodness of God through what he is saying and what he is doing and what he is uh, what's he, what he's looking at. Now, the words that start the psalm, of David when he pretended to be insane before Abimelech and he drove him away the historical account was the the word that you should have read in your scripture for prayer and meditation this morning at the beginning of our liturgy it comes from first Samuel 21 and here it is in summary form David has been running away from King Saul Saul has tried to take his life and he makes his way into the city of Gath which may not mean much of anything Except for Gath is the city where Goliath was from. And David is fleeing Saul and he is bearing, carrying the sword that he stole from Goliath after he cut his head off. He walks into the city of Gath now and the citizens of that city see this recognizable uh, sword and they say to themselves, this is the guy who killed Goliath. And so he pretends to be insane so that they will leave him alone. He's got all of these troubles that are pursuing him in King Saul. And now he enters into a city where he thinks he's going to get away from all of that. And he's actually creating even more trouble because he's bearing the sword of Goliath and thinks that the citizens are going to turn on him. So he pretends to be insane. They leave him alone. And then what does he do when they leave him alone? That's the testimony then that we have. Look at the words. Verse two, he is afflicted. In verse four, he is filled with fear. In verse six, the end of verse six, he is filled with great trouble. His life is not so good right now, he's in a bad spot. He's in a place where he has experienced anything but joy. He is experiencing affliction. He's experiencing fears of those around him. He's experiencing trouble after trouble. But what does he do in response? We have those words as well. Verse 1, I will extol the Lord at all times. Extol, the same word bless, the ironic blessing. He would have known that blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. So he blesses the Lord. Verse 2, my soul boasts in the Lord. Verse 3, glorify or worship the Lord with me. And verse 4, I sought the Lord. He pursued the Lord. Even in times, friends, of trouble and affliction and fear and pain and suffering, when enemies were hot on his heels, David would say, I will extol the Lord. My soul will boast in the Lord. I will glorify the Lord. I will seek the Lord. And then look at verse 5. He lived out the radiance of the goodness of his God. Even during the times of hardship, even during the times of persecution and affliction and pain and enemies and suffering, His face was radiant because of the goodness of God himself. So then he gets to verse 11 and calls on people like you and me. Look at it there. Come, my children, listen to me, and I'm going to teach you the fear of the Lord. This isn't David saying to us, now come and just be like David. Just be like me. He's not saying that at all because David is not the Savior. We can't just be like David But he he says, come and and, and look at my testimony. Look at the things that I say. Look at the things that I do. Uh, Look at the life that I'm living. And come and do that with me. And let's experience the goodness of God together. Here is iron sharpening iron, so to speak. As we live in the context of life together, when those... Of us who are weeping, we weep with those. When those of us who are rejoicing, we rejoice with those. So that we weep with those who weep. We rejoice with those who rejoice. We live life together in the context of this covenant community. And we extol the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on our lips. My soul will boast. So look at their responses now in verse 11. They had a great fear for the Lord or an awe, the majesty and glory of God. In verse 12, they love life. Whoever of you loves life. In verse 13, they're not complaining, grumbling, questioning why God is doing what he is doing or allowing what he is allowing. What are they doing? They're keeping their tongue from evil and their lips from speaking lies. And they are turning from evil to do good, and now they're seeking peace, they're pursuing peace, they're pursuing Yahweh himself. This is our response. So friends, my simple question to you this Sunday before Thanksgiving, and whatever experience it is that you're living in your life, what does your face look like? Is your face radiant? Radiant with the the beauty of the, the gospel of grace? Or are you like me many times? And that is that we, we let the, the, the circumstances of life dictate our level of, of emotion, our level of joy. That I will enjoy him forever if my life is going great. But in the midst of these pains and sufferings and, and troubles and so forth, until he takes all that, all that away, I, I, I can't experience the goodness of God. I can not enjoy him forever. But let me remind you, look at verse 6 and 7, what David is saying through divine inspiration to us. This poor man called to the Lord and he saved him out of his troubles because the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him, taste and see that he is good. Nowhere do we read that David says, I called on the Lord and he took all of these pains and sufferings away. No. But during the midst of these pains and sufferings, I came to this conclusion, this realization, this absolute truth, this understanding that our Savior encamps around us. He has our best interests and proves himself to be a loving, gracious, and a good God to us. He proves himself to us that we might taste him and see that he indeed is good. Now, friends, listen very carefully. That testimony can never be the testimony of your life unless you first understand what it is that Yahweh, what God himself has assured you of, what it is that he is giving you, assures to your mind and your heart what he has already done for you. It leads us to the place of testifying to the goodness of our God when we understand two things, what he is. Uh, ...what He has done for us... ...these two assurances that He gives to us... ...and the first one comes in verses 15 and 16... ...where He gives us this picture of His presence with us forever. He encamps around those who fear Him... ...so He is always present... ...and then He even clarifies that... ...assures us of that in verse 15. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. The ears of the Lord are attentive to the cry of the righteous. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil implying that his face is turned towards the righteous. Do you see it? He sees. He hears. He understands completely. Why? Because of verse 18. Look at it. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves all of those who are crushed in spirit. The Lord has not forsaken you, my friend, no matter what it is that you are living in life today. No matter whatever pain you are enduring, trouble you are enduring, enemy in hot pursuit of you, the Lord has not abandoned you. He is good. And he is proving his goodness to you now in camping around you by the love of his angelic beings sealing to you that he sees, that he hears, and that he understands. He assures you of that. He assures you, number one, of his presence. But he assures you of that presence because of number two. He assures you that he has provided for you to make you his child. He stops at nothing. He stops at nothing to communicate his goodness to you as one of his children. Look at verse 19. The righteous man may have many troubles The Lord may choose not to take them away. The righteous man may have many troubles. We may continue to experience pain and suffering, trouble after trouble. But the Lord delivers them. He protects all of his bones and he will not break any of them. Now that may not mean much to us, but I guarantee you it meant something to David. Because David would have undoubtedly, as he penned these words, known what, we, what, what he would have read in Exodus chapter 12 and in Deuteronomy chapter 9, when, when the law commanded the Israelite to bring the sacrificial animal in order that sins might be forgiven by, by, by this sacrificial animal and no bones could be broken in that animal, it had to be pure, it had to be spotless, it had to be blameless. David would have understood that. And so now he is saying, He protects my bones. None of my bones will be broken because He has provided for us the very one who was the ultimate and final sacrificial lamb. We know the words of John 19, 6, when Jesus himself hung on the cross and the Roman soldiers in threat of the Sabbath day, quickly coming as the sun was setting, went to the cross to break his bones, to break his legs, so that he couldn't prop himself up and extend his life anymore, but that the weight of his body would cause him to die faster. And the Roman soldiers got there and found him already dead, And so John 19 says, not one of his bones were broken, fulfilling this very promise that we have read of that sacrificial animal that the Israelites were supposed to present. That Christ himself is the final, the final sacrifice that's free of spot or blemish. Not one of his bones were broken as well. The Father is saying to you today, friends, listen, the Father is saying, I am good. And we are saying, How are you good, Father, if I'm experiencing this kind of a life? How are you good? And he is saying to you in response, I gave you my son. He gave us his son. The final sacrifice. The one who was crushed for us so that we might not be crushed. That we might enjoy the goodness of our God, even in the midst of pain and suffering and struggles, God is good, and we enjoy Him forever and ever because He has provided an avenue for us to do that, and it is through our Savior Jesus the Christ. David was looking forward to this one to come. We look back because he has already come and now we have the fullness of this goodness of God lavished on us and it is in the person Jesus Christ. There is no other name under heaven by which we can be saved but the name of Christ, the one who lavishes his goodness and grace upon us in every situation of life. Thursday is Thanksgiving. You're probably going to pull up to a great big table, a big feast. A lot of us will anyway. And there will be all kinds of food. And we'll be thinking of anything but the pains and the sufferings and the problems of life. Because all we're going to think about is having too much to eat and too much dessert. And is that the good life? Is that the good life? Sometimes we tell ourselves that, don't we? Sometimes we say the good life is all of the enjoyments, the, 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 the good things of life that we experience, but we know that that's not the good life. After the, the, the benediction, I'm going to stand by the door for a little bit and then I'm going to run home and I'm going to grab Doug, my four, or my six-year-old Yorkie, I'm going to throw him in the car and we're heading down to South Padre Island. We'll drive there all day today. Get there tonight. My wife is already down there. Her family is there. They're getting ready to serve me by feeding me the biggest feast in all of the world this coming Thursday. Is that the good life? I'll be in the salt life. That's pretty close to the good life. It's 82 degrees down there. Is that the good life? No, that's not the good life, and you know that. But what about overcoming all of our pains and our struggles and our problems? What about those, the reality of the, the pains that we experience? Is that all there is to life? No, that's not the good life either. What is man's primary purpose? What is man's chief end? To glorify God. But also to enjoy Him forever. To enjoy Him forever. In the good times and in the bad. The painless and the painful. The suffering free and nothing but suffering. God is good. He encamps around his children. Taste, taste him and see that he is good today and every day. Happy Thanksgiving. Let us pray. Father in heaven, what a joy it is to know that we are yours, bought with a price, that this gospel has been lavished on us in Jesus, that he came and gave his life. Not one of his bones were broken to fulfill this promise to David. And now as a descendant of David, Jesus the Christ himself, he seals that promise to us as well. So Father, we want to enjoy him as we pull up to the table this Thursday. But for many of us, as we experience the pain and suffering of our life today and tomorrow and the next day, in many days to come. It doesn't void your promises to us, the assurances that you give us. So, Father, seal them to us today as we enjoy you now and forevermore. Amen.